the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Good afternoon, Northern California. Welcome. Just about five minutes after the hour, 5 p.m., as we welcome you to another edition of Lifeline. Keeping you company Monday through Friday at this time, as we typically do, addressing issues that impact your life, your world, and your Christian walk. There was a famous film many years ago starring Frank Sinatra. And at one point in the movie, there's a line as he's pondering the possibility of becoming a father for the very first time. And he opines that you can have fun with a son, but you've got to be a father to a girl. Well, there's a degree to which that might be true. But from the broader perspective, I think most today would argue that Boys and girls both need a solid male role model, a father in their life. And, of course, God designed it that way. And as we look at the many struggles that we see with the American family today and the difficulties in society, quite often we draw the conclusion that it's either an absent father or a father who grew up lacking the proper modeling from his own parents in order to really understand what it means to be a husband and a father and a man. Taking a look at this topic today, a new book entitled Stepping Up, A Call to Courageous Manhood, and its author, our guest today on Lifeline, and certainly no stranger to KFAX listeners, he's Dennis Rainey from Family Life Today, heard weekday mornings at 8.30 a.m. right here on KFAX. And Dennis, is always a thrill to have you on the program. Craig, great to be with you. We love the Bay Area and uh, have a ton of listeners out there. We're thrilled to be on your your station. And great for the opportunity to talk about this new book, a, a book that I think, you know, dealing with a topic that perennially seems to be a challenge to our society today. Uh, it's amazing how oftentimes women will call up to a program like mine, and I'm sure you would Family Life Today hear it all the time. They'll just say, I only wish my husband would be a father, or if he could just learn how to be the man of the household. Why is it that this seems to be, for growing numbers of men in our society today, so problematic that they don't understand what it means to be a courageous man? Well, I think for the past, uh, well, at least three decades and maybe four, men have been fair game to make fun of, to uh, pull out the gender blender culture that we have and kind of homogenize men and women together and say, other than the obvious physical differences, there really are no differences between the sexes. And God made them male and female. He made them uh, to be two distinct sexes with different assignments and certainly some mutual responsibilities, but I think a lot of men today are confused. They don't know how to do manhood, and as a result, they don't have a vision for what it looks like, and what I did, Craig, was about 12 years ago, I I decided I was going to write a book to men 
and come alongside them and call them to courageous manhood and encourage them in the process. Not beat them up, not take them to task, not shame them, not blame them, but just say, come on, you can do this thing. Let me give you a vision of what it looks like and talk about some steps that a man needs to take in his lifetime. And I'll tell you, Craig, I thought it was going to be an easy assignment, but I had four false starts in writing this book. And finally, on the fifth time, I was able to uh, get it right. And uh, we've slung it out there, and it's really been flying out the door. We've had over 20,000 copies sold in a little over three and a half, four months. Wow. And, and, you know, when we think of this topic, I wonder how much of the problem, beyond the fact that there's been uh, a breakdown in the, the lineage of role modeling from father to father to son and so forth down through the generations. Then, too, I wonder, Dennis, from your research, is part of the problem here, too, also a, a false understanding of what manhood means? I, I'm thinking of, for example, a lot of the exaggerated Hollywood images. You know, uh, the guy covered in tattoos that smashes aluminum cans on his forehead, and that somehow is an image of modern-day masculinity. You know, I think to answer that question, I'll just take you to the five steps, because I think the answer is found as I kind of walk my way through them. Um, I believe there are five steps a man was designed to have before him as he goes through life. The first one is boyhood. Uh, He's designed by God to step out of boyhood into adolescence. That's the second step. And Paul talked about in 1 Corinthians 13, um, when I was a child, I thought as a child, I behaved as a child. But when I became a man, he said, what, what did he say? I put away childish things. And so God designed a man not to stay on the boyhood or the, the adolescent step, but to step up to the manhood step and not not straddle with one foot in manhood, one foot in adolescence standing sideways. I believe he designed us to turn our backs on youthful lust, on wanting to play games, on wanting to uh, abdicate responsibility and assume the responsibility of what it means to be a man, get a job, get married, raise children, become a father, and not just father children, but raise children with purpose. And then there's those two final steps that I have that most men don't realize are out there and don't, don't experience the bonus and the benefit of, but there's the mentor the mentoring step, and then there's the patriarch step. God designed men, I believe, Craig, to to multiply their lives out. That's what it that's what it means to be a mentor. Paul wrote to Timothy in Second Timothy two two. He said, "These things which you have heard from me, and trust to faithful men who will teach others also." There were four generations there. God made men to be a mentor and to be mentored. Every man listening to my voice right now ought to have a couple of younger men who he's mentoring, reaching down, calling them up, and he ought to have one or two older men in his life that are calling him up. We all need it. We were all designed by God to not only help others learn and become disciples, but we were also called to be learners as well and to be disciples of Jesus Christ too. So lacking all of this, I mean, it's easy to see that one of the the fundamental problems then in developing a biblical understanding of what manhood means, that courageous manhood, as you talk about inside the book, is that what we're we're either skipping some of these stages or steps or we get them out of order or, or perhaps just simply get stuck. 
Well, you know, I'm going to read you something from the book, and it's not something I wrote. It's from an advertisement, and I'll not tell you who who did the advertisement until I finished the piece. But it's it's an unlikely an unlikely source to be writing something so pithy about being a man. Here, here it is. Once upon a time, men wore the pants and wore them well. Women rarely had to open doors, and little old ladies never had to cross the street alone. Men took charge because that's what they did. But somewhere along the way, the world decided it no longer needed men. Disco by disco, latte by foamy, non-fat latte, men were stripped of their khakis and left stranded on the road between boyhood and androgyny. But today there are questions our genderless society has no answers for. The world sits idly by as cities crumble, children misbehave, and those little old ladies remain on one side of the street. For the first time since bad guys, we need heroes. We need grown-ups. We need men to put down the plastic fork, step away from the salad bar, and untie the world from the tracks of complacency. It's time to get your hands dirty. It's time to answer the call of manhood. It's time to wear the pants. Now, Craig, that was an advertisement for jo- for Docker's jeans. Wow. <laughs> I wish I'd, writ- I'd written that myself. Absolutely. I mean, talk about an accurate depiction. I mean, as you were reading that, Dennis, I thought, boy, so much of this summarizes what has been the the feminization of manhood and the masculinization of femininity. And, And, Craig, I think within the chest of men, there is a desire to do the courageous thing. I think they really do want to take the step up and make the difference in the world God designed them to make. Today at lunch, I had lunch with a guy who um, uh, I had met uh, as a result of of having a problem in in my life that I needed a professional to help me with. And he possessed the skills I needed. And in the process of him fixing what I needed to have fixed, I gave him this book. He calls me back two days later and he goes, I couldn't put it down. He said, Dennis, the reason is they handed me two babies when I became a father, and there were no instructions Mm -hmm. on them. I didn't know what it meant to be a man, a husband, or or a daddy now. How do I do this thing? And so I think we we kind of reserve heroism and uh, courageous acts for soldiers on a battlefield, which certainly that occurs. But I think today, Craig, some of the most heroic acts that are occurring are men who are pushing away from pornography. They're assuming their responsibility as husbands. They're taking on the the load of the covenant that they made with their with their wives when they got married a number of years ago, and they say, "I will not quit. I will love you." As Christ loved the church, I'll nourish you, I'll cherish you, I'll face this issue we've got with debt, with illness, with a child, and we'll face it together. And that's the kind of courage that's needed today. And um, I just think men long for another man to come alongside and put his arm around him and say, you can do this thing. You really can. 
a look at stepping up, a call to courageous manhood. Its author, our special guest on this edition of Lifeline, Dennis Rainey from Family Life Today. You can get more information about the ministry online at familylife.com. That's familylife.com. And, of course, tune into the program weekday mornings at 8.30 a.m. right here on KFAX. We'll get back to more of our conversation with Dennis Rainey on his new book, Stepping Up, A Call to Courageous Manhood, as this edition of Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back to Lifeline. Once again, we're visiting today with a very dear special guest. Many of you, in fact, to spend your mornings with him as part of Family Life Today, weekday morning at 830 here on KFAX. He's Dennis Rainey from Family Life Today. New book out entitled Stepping Up, A Call to Courageous Manhood. You know, part of this, I think, desyncretization that we've seen, Dennis, over generations, that kind of generational disconnect in areas such as mentoring and, and patriarch and so forth. I, I walked into the bank the other day and there was a woman a couple of steps behind me and so as I got to the bank door I pulled the door back and stepped aside and he just, you know, prepared to kind of nod my head with a good morning greeting and instead she turned to me and said, thanks but I'll, I can get it myself. And <laughs> And I thought, you know, all the hard work that my dad went through 40-something years ago plus, training me how to open a car door for a lady, open the, the, the door to the grocery store or whatever for a lady, because that's what gentlemen do in polite company. And now fast forward a few decades, and suddenly you're getting yelled at for doing what I had learned to be was just a proper, proper and appropriate manly behavior. Yeah, and it's uh, common courtesies. Uh, we don't think of that being a part of being a real man, but I'll tell you what, my dad was, was that way. He, he didn't grow up with a lot of training, but he was a real gentleman. And he treated women with nobility and respect and, um, uh, and with honor. And I picked that up from him, and I couldn't agree with you more. I think if there's ever been a need for us to have an epidemic of common courtesy and and for men to lead the way in this training their sons, it's today. And, and I'll tell you, one of the ways we need to be we need to be uh, we need to show common courtesies and kindness is when we go through the airport and we go through TSA. And we're having to take our shoes off and put our computers in the, the plastic bins and go through there. Just try, try this the next time you go through, Craig. As a man, look, look, look one of them in the eye and say, you know, I want to thank you for your work. I bet you get a lot of compliments, but I just want to thank you for your work. And you know what I've been told? They've said, I, we've, I've been spit on. Uh, I've been cursed out numerous times. People seldom say thank you. And I've had a number of them come back and say, you know, I really appreciate you expressing a, um, a gratefulness to me. You're the first person today. Or, or maybe the first person in a long time. Or if I think ever. Our, I think our country um, is kind of spiraling downward toward more of a barbaric behavior when men don't behave as men, as God designed them to be. Um the result just isn't good. Well, and I think part of it, too, as you underscore inside the pages of stepping up a call to courageous manhood, is this disconnect, Dennis, uh, that we are seeing a lack of, of maturity, uh, an absolute fleeing from any level of accountability or responsibility. And, and as much as there is this generational disconnect that so many young men and girls, for that matter, that are being raised in single parent families where there's either not a mom present to, to model 
model for the kids or a father present. And, and all of a sudden, this fundamental disconnect in the way God has established our society from a biblical standpoint is, is I think, in many degrees causal to this. Because let's face it, if you don't have anybody to model after, then how will you know how to behave when you get to adulthood? You know, I've got a quote in the book in the, on the bo- about the boyhood step. And it reads like this, a boy without a father, a boy without a father figure is like an explorer without a map. Mm -hmm. Boys need men, fathers who are fully standing on the manhood step, reaching down to them on the boyhood step saying, come on up, son. Here's how you do it. And they talk about how you do it, but they also model how you do it. And and I just remember my dad my dad's my dad's dad deserted him when he was a boy along with his other eight siblings. And I don't know where my dad learned how to be a man, learned how to be a father, a husband, but but he could have been a victim. But he decided not to be passive but to, to initiate and, and I believe initiation is one of the essences of masculinity. Passivity is the exact opposite. The easiest thing for a man to do is nothing. Uh, I'll tell you a story. I think I told this story in the book. But I went to one of my kids' eighth grade uh, dances at the cafeteria. And when I arrived at the cafeteria, the dance had been going for a while. And the room was almost totally dark. With the only light that was on was over by the door where a bunch of parents were huddled up. And when we walked in the door, the parents said, have you seen that dance they're doing over there? You're not going to believe how, how vulgar that dance is. You just got to go look. So I kind of thought, this is kind of interesting. The kids are all over in the dark doing something obscene, and the parents are in the light. So I walk over there, and I've never seen a dance like this. But they were right. It was absolutely off the charts vulgar. And so I sat there, and my hands started getting clammy. And I thought, I'm, I'm afraid of a 14-year-old teenage boy who's got pimples all over his face. I'm 45 years old, for goodness sakes. What is wrong with me? And so I just stepped out, stepped up, and I tapped the young man on the shoulder and I says, Hey, knock it off. That's obscene. You shouldn't be treating that young lady like that. And I turned to the young lady and I said, Young lady, you're going to be somebody's husband someday. You're going to be some some husband's wife someday, and, and you need to make sure young men treat you with respect. And I looked over my shoulder, and here comes another parent. He started tapping people, the young, young people on the shoulder. Billy Graham made a statement. He said, when one person takes a stand, the spines of others are, stiffen- are stiffened. Courage begets courage. And I think what's missing today, uh, Craig, is we're not telling enough of these stories of how men have done courageous things. I'm going to ask you to answer this question right here on the air. Uh, this is one of my favorite questions to ask other men when, you, when we get together and have dinner and we got time to answer the question. The question is this, Craig. What is the most courageous thing you've ever done in all your life? Wow. Now, as you think about answering that, let me tell you what courage isn't. Courage, or what, what, what the answer is, and excuse me, it's not saying I've never done anything courageous. 
Uh, courage is doing your duty in the face of fear. It's doing your duty in the face of challenge. It's, it's doing your duty and refusing to do nothing. And all of us have performed numerous acts in our lifetimes that were courageous. And what happens is men don't talk about how they've been courageous in, in maybe some relationship they had. Maybe it was with their father. Maybe confronting him about alcoholism. Uh, confronting him around an affair. I've had those things mentioned as we've talked around the dinner table. You know, courage is not reserved for a battlefield in a foreign country. Courage can occur in all kinds of settings and situations. So, Craig, what's the most courageous thing you've ever done in all your life? Well, I tell you, thinking through the answer to that, I, I, I pondered back to a time in North Korea going in with a group of fellow Christian broadcasters, and there were a couple of ladies in our group, and we were bringing in some Bibles in with us. That is, of course, a massive no-no, and one of the border guards was about to catch one of the ladies, and I came in and, and, and basically created a bit of a distraction putting the attention off of them and on to me. And, of course, I'm carrying Bibles as well. And I thought, well, if somebody's going to end up going to jail here, it's probably better me than them. That, that was one of the stories that came to mind. That's good. You had to face fear, and you did your duty. You stepped up. And, you know, I just think with this movie coming out this weekend, Courageous, uh, we've been interviewing Alex and Stephen Kendrick on our broadcast, Family Life Today. If you missed it today at 8.30 uh, on, on Family Life Today, you can go online, listen to it. You really ought to listen to the interviews of these guys because I think God's up to something calling men back to courage, specifically courage around being a man, being a husband, and being a father, and caring about our community. Craig, I, I think today what is happening in community after community across our country is evil. Evil is preying upon our children, our families, and it's eating them alive. And some of the evil is being pumped into our homes at our own volition and choice around choosing pornography. And so for some men, the most courageous thing they need to do is break an addiction. They need to step away and step out of something that has control of their lives and and step up and say, you know what? I'm going to be I'm going to be uh, the doorway through which light and righteousness gains entrance into my home, not sin. So much of this, Dennis, is about making the right choices. And I want to pause on that point, allow our listeners to ponder. We're going to take a brief time out, come back to some more observations. Our special guest today, Dennis Rainey, host of Family Life Today, the broadcast weekday mornings at 8.30 a.m. right here on KFAX. Just go to FamilyLife.com. That's FamilyLife.com, where you can hear not only the podcast of today's broadcast of Family Life Today, but also get information about ordering a copy of Dennis's latest book, the one we're discussing right now, Stepping Up, A Call to Courageous Manhood. A brief time out back with some more insights from Dennis Rainey as this edition of Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. 
Welcome back to this edition of Lifeline. Craig Roberts along with our very special guest. He's Dennis Rainey, host of Family Life Today. Again, the new book, Stepping Up, A Call to Courageous Manhood, available through Bay Area Christian Bookstores, as well as through the Family Life website, familylife.com. That's familylife.com. You know, just before the break, Dennis, we were talking a bit about uh, learning how to act in a courageous fashion. And you mentioned some of the things that are besetting the American family today, whether we're talking about uh, kids that are trapped under the force of peer pressure that leads to sexually acting out, rebellion, pornography, drugs, the whole list. Some people might say, well, it just seems as if sin is more abounding these days. I have to wonder, Dennis, in the grand scheme of things, is it a case where somehow there's more sin let loose on the world today, or is part of this just a lack of light? In other words, could we stem the tide? Could we turn the direction of what's happening in our society and in the American home today, if more men would step up, be a, a, a husband to the wives, be a father to their children, do the kind of, of mentoring and modeling that is necessary, and in particular, help young boys and girls understand what their responsibilities ought to be and where the limits should be? Great question. And uh, I'm going to let Isaiah, I'm going to let Isaiah answer or cast a little light on the answer. In Isaiah 59, Isaiah is talking about how bad the day was. He says, we growl like bears, we moan like doves. They're looking at the injustice, the lack of mercy in the culture, and it's just causing a grief that, that just causes people to shrivel up and, and to just retreat. And then it says, justice is turned back and righteousness stands afar off. The picture here is that things get so bad that the, the righteous stand away from the battle with their arms folded going... You know, it's just too bad. This is all going bad. This is just, it's really, you know, there's a lot of evil taking place. And then listen to what he says. He says, for truth has stumbled in the public squares, and a brightness cannot enter. Truth is lacking, and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. The picture here that Isaiah paints is that truth is not standing up erect in the street for people to see the standard. Instead, it's flat on its face. It's stumbled in the streets. And it says, as a result, uprightness can't enter. And then it says, truth is lacking. And as a result of truth lacking, it says, people who were actually designed by God to prey upon evil, to push back against evil, the very evil we were meant to conquer, turns around and preys upon us. It says, and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. I I think the problems that we're facing in our nation are a bunch of very small personal battles at grassroots America that if those who profess to follow Jesus Christ would begin to turn around and pray upon evil and push back against evil and say, you know what, that's indecent like I did in a bookstore in uh, Grand Central Station in, in, in Manhattan about uh, six or eight months ago. I was there and I walked by a book and it had, it had a title to a book that was a, that was a, 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 it's a curse word, except it's a vulgar curse word. 
and I didn't go up with a Bible and beat the guy up who owned the store, but I just I just have to tell you, I was getting ready to buy some stuff, and I'm not going to buy anything because I'm really offended by, by your book. And it, it resulted in a very healthy conversation between that shop owner and me. And you had to wonder, how many people have walked by that book? I saw a little kid looking at it, a six-year-old kid. And indecency vulgarity evil is encroaching in our society and the, the statement that was made all that is necessary for evil to triumph is for good men to do what nothing nothing and so guess what that's what we do because we think it's somebody else's battle it's not mine well, you know what? I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to fix every evil. I can't. There is a lot of evil today. And back to your original question: Do I think things are more evil today? I, I don't think so. I think evil has more access to our lives and in terms of privacy in our homes today than has ever existed. The internet being piped into our homes, cable TV, uh, pornography is destroying a generation of boys. The, the average age boys are now being being taught to look at pornography is not 13, 14, 15, and 16. It's ages 8, 9, and 10. And the hardwiring of a boy's emotional system and sexual system are not connected. And we don't even have any idea of how the devil of hell is destroying young boys and their manhood in its very inception, in the germinating stages of what it means to be a young man. And that's my assignment as a dad, to attempt to build the truth into my life, into my family's life, so that truth hasn't stumbled in the streets. Truth is there pushing back against evil. You know, I like to liken it, Dennis, to the analogy of when you, you come in, say you've been out for the evening with the family, and you come into the house, the lights are all off, the room is very dark, and somebody might observe as you're walking through the front door, gee, it's pretty dark in here. But what's the first thing they call for? Turn on the lights. Yeah. This room is not necessarily in a condition of having excessive darkness. What's really happening is there is a lack of light. And I think at the core, what you're suggesting here is that godly men need to turn on the light. And as they do so, that light will dispel darkness, the good will dispel evil, and then as you talk about the, the stages, the steps of a man's life, and as he learns how to apply the principles from Scripture to lead and to protect and to serve and to model and, and to defend our children, we can make a significant difference in spite of the fact that, as you suggest, you know, evil's got an easy pipeline into our homes these days with the Internet and cable television and all of these things that, that surely make parenting today certainly more difficult, but not impossible, because we have a weapon that God has given to us that that is as strong today as it was when that book was first written. Dietrich Bonhoeffer gave his life, I believe, in his early 30s for his faith in Germany. He refused to join Hitler's army and was ultimately uh, became a martyr for his faith in Christ. But he made this statement. He said, it's the righteous man who lives for the next generation. Uh, someone else said, our children are the living messengers we send to a time we will not see. Here's the question for a man, a father, a grandfather, maybe a single guy. What kind of message are you going to send to the next generation? 
what's your imprint on other people's lives for Jesus Christ that leaves the mark of God's goodness, God's mercy, God's love, God's grace to to imprint that on the next generation's lives so they're going to make a difference when you're gone. So you're suggesting, Dennis, even today as we see a lot of debate about the debt ceiling and how we are passing this huge amount of indebtedness on to, to future generations, to our children and our grandchildren, that perhaps for the Christian man, the question of what we're going to leave, the legacy that we will leave for future generations is one of an even grander and, and more critical and more serious answer, isn't it? There's, in my opinion, the battleground for for the nation. We we certainly have to have fiscal responsibility. We have to have godly leaders in Washington D.C. and the state houses of all fifty states. But I'm going to tell you something: America has survived um, political corruption. It cannot survive the breakdown of its most basic unit, the family. No nation will survive that breakdown. Martin Luther King Jr. made this statement. He said, cowardice asked the question, is it safe? Expediency asked the question, is it politic? Vanity asked the question, is it popular? But conscience asked the question, is it right? And you said it a few minutes ago, Craig. I, I think it's, it's our choices. The choices we make deciding to be God's man, and it's why I like the title of the book, Stepping Up. It's just amazing how often men use that with one another. Uh, You know, I I stepped up. I made the commitment. Um, Whether it's a single guy listening right now who's who's avoided making the commitment of marriage, there's a lot of guys today prolonging adolescence, wanting to be single and have fun and not assume responsibility well into their 30s. There are even those who are sociologists, Craig, who are recommending that we prolong adolescence for another 10 to 15 years. That's not the solution. That's not the kind of men we need today. We need guys who are willing to say, you know what? Give me the ball. Give me the responsibility. I'm going to fail. I may fail forward, but I'm going to step up. I'm going to attempt to make my mark for Jesus Christ and make a difference. I'm just one man. You're just one man, Craig. But, um, you know, each of us has given a sphere of responsibility. We, we try to do our best. I, I, I look at my life someday, and the, the longer I live, the more I believe the cross is the hope for me and all of, all of humanity because we are desperately sick with selfishness and sin. We have missed the mark. And so it's not a matter of being perfect, but it is a matter of stepping up in faith and saying, God, I want to be your man. We so often will take a look at the Sunday football game or the results of the baseball or basketball game and opine about certain players and say, you know, so-and-so just needs to step up. Maybe it's time now for each and every man in the faith to take that own advice. Stepping Up, A Call to Courageous Manhood. The new book, by the way, available through the Resource Ministry of Family Life at FamilyLife.com. That's FamilyLife.com. The broadcast, Family Life Today, weekday mornings at 8.30 a.m. right here on KFAX. And the author of Stepping Up, A Call to Courageous Manhood, our special guest on this edition of Lifeline, Dennis Rainey. Dennis, as always, an education to visit with you, brother. Appreciate your time today, and uh, we'll catch you on the radio, as they say, uh, tomorrow at 8.30 a.m. It's a privilege, Craig. Great to be with you. 
And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Well, it has become a part of our American modern vernacular. I suspect even the term is used in many parts around the world. Am I right? If you want some information, want to get some data, you know, there was a day and an age back when we were youngins, Richard, we would go to something called the library, a big building, lots of things in it called books, reference section to get information. Today, what do you do? What do you say? You say, Google it. Absolutely. And, of course, this multi-billion dollar corporation has become a worldwide entity that has provided us not only uh, the tools of research to gain access to almost any website in the world that you like to get information about, uh, but also you can snoop into your neighbor's backyard, you can peep through their front windows with Google Street View and gain all kinds of information. Of course, oddly enough, they're apparently gaining all kinds of information on you, too. By the way, Richard, I noticed your lawn needs to be mowed. I was checking out Google the other day, so, you know, get that taken care of, would you? And, of course, recently we, we've seen them gathering information that included capturing every bit of data that was traversing across every open wireless network in the country as they went up and down the streets um, taking pictures of the front of your house. And, of course, Google says, all oh, this is all very incident, uh, very incidental and by accident. It was a quote, engineering mistake. Yeah, terabytes worth of data were just accidentally collected. Well, with some insights on this, Scott Cleland joins us now, author of a new book called Search and Destroy, Why You Can't Trust Google Inc. And Scott, thanks for being with us tonight. Thank you so much for having me, Greg. What of this whole thing? You know, we'll begin, I guess, first with one of the most notable uh, intrusions into our privacy as uh, Google was going up and down, traversing the streets, avenues, uh, drives and boulevards of every major portion of America uh, for their street view, gathering not just photographs, but apparently lots of other information that they claim was all by accident. Really? Well, um, it's not by accident when you have when you're doing it in 33 countries over um, a three-year period with hundreds of vehicles. So, um, you know, their excuse was not that it was a mistake and there was only one rogue engineer that had programmed it, and that's just a preposterous explanation. So, we know that they patented the technology, and we know that um, you know there were you know hundreds and hundreds of people involved, and if you know in order to believe them, we'd have to believe they have zero management control and zero supervision uh, um, so it's it's they're they're damned if they do damned if they don't in their explanation you spent a lot of time researching investigating this company based right here in the san francisco bay area um, fully eight congressional subcommittees have sought your expert testimony uh, on a variety of topics um, tell us from your research Scott, beyond that sense of just being horrifically intrusive into every open and unsecured uh, wireless network in every neighborhood across the planet, what else about this company makes you nervous? Well, um, the big untold story here, Craig, is that Google is a hidden threat to everybody on the Internet. While everybody knows there are great, great benefits, great innovations of Google, they don't appreciate that Google is really becoming Big Brother Inc. You know, um, they're the, probably the single biggest threat to people's privacy and security online. And the other thing that's important to know um, about Google is, is that they're not the trustworthy, ethical, and unbiased uh, company they pretend to be. You know, when, when I've studied them, it's obvious that they serially disrespect people, privacy, property, and the rule of law. 
One of the things, and, and folks maybe that uh, that use Google Chrome, for example, uh, as as their search engine, uh, I recently had a computer that was having some problems, and a friend said, well, you know, if you're having problems with Internet Explorer, why not check out Google Chrome? And so I did, found that it seemed to function a little bit more smoother. Uh, and then, it, it, much to my surprise, I found out that not only every website that I visited, but every page that I went to was being captured there for all to see. And, you know, I'm not doing anything surreptitious or anything thing that I have to be embarrassed about, so it's no big deal. But the thought occurred to me, well, if this is being captured on my local machine for anybody to innocently walk up to, look at the history and see everywhere on planet Earth that I've been to, I wonder how much of that data is also being captured by Google and for what purpose? Well, you're, you're right. You're talking about the creepy side of Google, and um, they track everything on the internet not only everything you do but everything everybody does over a billion people they're the only company that does this and has a capability to do it so they're the only entity on earth really that knows what you want what you think what you believe what you read what you watch and what you intend to do in the future and they know you better than you know yourself because they do it 24-7, 365, and unlike you, they don't forget. So, in other words, let's say, for example, something fairly harmless and innocent as, um, you know, I'm thinking that, you know, the car's got quite a few miles on it. Now might be a good time to do some shopping. There's talk about vehicle prices going up here, what with what's been going on in Japan and so forth. And so I'm spending time. I'm looking at dealerships. I'm looking at car makes and models. I'm spending time over at, uh, you know, Consumer Reports and other automotive magazines looking for information. Google is capturing all of that information and potentially could, what, turn around and sell it to somebody that might then target me to uh, uh, to try to be, make me become a client of theirs, a customer of theirs? Well, well actually, that's not the threat, because Google's a monopoly. They don't want to you know, sell your information to anybody. They want to harvest it for themselves for um, to reinforce their monopoly. So let me kind of lay out the, the risk to your, your listeners and to, and to you. Uh, but first, we have to know, you know, um, that Google pushes the envelope on privacy in, in a lot of scary ways. They can track you wherever you go online, and they do it through search, through ad serving, and you may not know that even when you're off Google, any place you go where you go to a website and it takes a little um, second or two for an ad to appear, Google's delivering that, and they have a cookie there, and they know where you've been on that, on that website. And then any time you go to YouTube, Android, you talked about Chrome, uh, an operating system, and they have 500 other products and services where many of them also track you. So they track everything you do online. They also can track you where you're going offline in the physical world. They also eavesdrop on you. That's what you talked about at the beginning of the show. They read your email. They photograph your house, like you described at the beginning of the show. And they can even record your face, um, your voice print, and they also want your face print for facial recognition. Let me stop you right there, because I suddenly feel like I'm listening to somebody that's reading out of, you know, uh, <laughs> I, I don't know, 1984, you know. Um, uh, let me pause there for a moment, if we can, Scott, and come back to the conversation, because suddenly we've gone from the places that I visit online, that makes sense as I'm doing a search through Google, to so many other activities that are offline, so to speak. Oh, Big Brother is looming. Big Brother cares. Big Brother is here to help. We'll come
come back as we uh, talk about this topic of search and destroy why you can't trust Google Inc. They're probably monitoring this broadcast as we speak. Back with more. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. 